Hello, Erica. Hello, Stephen. You have a slight headache, so I'm trying to be as quiet as I can. I have, I have a migraine. Uh, I'm I'm recording this podcast with a cold compress on my forehead. That's that's how much I care about podcasting. I am that dedicated to lazy Doctor Who. And uh, you're recording another podcast later tonight. Should I, should, is that okay if I tell the people that? Well, we'll see how I feel. But if I feel well enough, then yes, I will be recording yet another incomparable network podcast. Go ahead and you can announce it because my head hurts. <laughs> head hurts. It's a. It's believe it or not. I, I never thought that when I asked way back in January of 2014 if when we were in Florida we could go to a hockey game that. Three years later, you would be starting your own hockey podcast. <laughs> and you are. It's called Beginner's Puck. Yep, that's right. For those of you who have not seen on, on Twitter or in the Incomparable Member Slack or elsewhere, yep, my uh, my Verity cohort, Deb and I, who are just head over heels in love with hockey, have decided to start our own hockey podcast. So, yep, it will be it will be I hope fun for people who have loved hockey for a long time, but also for for new people. We will explain concepts and sort of take people through what we have recently gone through in learning to love hockey. But that's not what we're here to talk about right now. No, I'm looking forward to um, seeing how because I've been watching your hockey fandom sort of shut up phone uh, mm-hmm. sort of grow. Uh, throughout the past three years. And just like this Doctor Who podcast, I like watching your appreciation of some Doctor Who episodes that you haven't seen before Mm -hmm. um, or heard and seen before, (laughs) so to speak. Uh, One of which was The Savages, which we finished off episodes three and four of Serial AA (laughs) today. So, yeah. A... Sorry, bad Fonzie joke. Yeah, I l- are there good Fonzie jokes? Um, maybe I actually met Henry. Win- well, I didn't meet him. I saw Henry Winkler and made eye contact with him and like nodded at, in the uh, bookstore at University of Wisconsin Madison. Because of course he was at the bookstore at University of Wisconsin Madison, mm-hmm. because Happy Days takes place in Milwaukee, right? It's in Milwaukee. I think it's well, Kenosha. Okay, okay, well, it's in Wisconsin. Is it really in... Because I know that Laverne and Shirley took place in in Milwaukee. Yeah, Laverne and Shirley's in Milwaukee. Right. Uh, But no, um, Henry Winkler's daughter went to UW-Madison when I was there. So, yeah, he was at the bookstore once. I thought perhaps he was staying in character till the end and that... uh, Not that he's dead yet, but... uh, (laughs) And that he was Fonzie and he was working at the library. (laughs) Nope. No, he was wearing normal clothes. No no leather jacket. He He was very polite. So the savages. Mm-hmm. I don't want to talk about the savages because then once we've talked about the savages, Stephen will be gone forever. Boo-hoo. But this is a really good story. <laughs> right? I'm so torn because I love Stephen so much and and now I don't have any more Stephen. It was actually, and I found it weird too, at one point it finally clicked in that, yes, it's Peter Purvis doing the uh, linking narration. And every time he would describe Stephen doing something, I was just like this weird frisson of, he's talking about himself in the third person. That's a little weird, except it's not really himself, because obviously I know the difference between the character and the dude. Good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Um, but yes, he was narrating this. Especially, it gets a little more poignant when when he's sort of narrating his own goodbye scene. You know, mm-hmm. you know, Stephen. You know, whatever. So say goodbye for the final time or whatever. So, uh, it was the uh, okay. Jumping back into the you know episode three uh, and the beginning of episode four. This is such a such an interesting story. I didn't know how they were going to pull it together. I was not expecting the energy transference in transference as they called it <laughs> um to impart the doctor's character um mm-hmm. and actually his his personality i mean the uh the actor that plays jano did a really good william hartnell as the doctor impersonation i was very impressed by that that was really fun that's Frederick yeager i remember a reading uh, it was, I think it was in Running Through Quarters Volume 1, Robert Shearman actually wrote that it's almost like an indignity that to William Hartnell during this time where, you know, not only are they sort of like elbowing him out a little bit, but they actually transfer his mind into someone else. Mm-hmm. And Fred, Freddie Yeager is doing a William Hartnell impersonation for the first few minutes mm-hmm. after he comes out of the uh, the vat, which is almost kind of like, is it disrespectful? Or is it? I don't think it's disrespectful. No, I mean maybe perhaps in retrospect we assign that towards him, given that mm-hmm. we know that he leaves in relative short order. Uh, maybe from a very doylist perspective, but yeah. uh, I mean I think the science fictional idea of transferring a person's mind and personality is just a really flippin' cool idea. So having this actor do the mannerisms and the speech patterns of the other character is just something that's awesome. I don't I don't see any disrespect involved in there in any way, shape, or form. And William Hartnell actually actually has um I mean, as much as we can tell from the, the stills and stuff, he looks like he's doing a really good job of being you know, out of it and comatose, which is its own kind of challenge from an acting perspective. I mean, I don't know, maybe... No, you know what? I, 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 I was going to say maybe the producers, you know, were were doing that in a way to sort of shunt him aside. But Ian Stewart Black wrote this, and I can't imagine that he had any intention of doing anything like that this is just that's the story that's that's the way that the science fiction plays out so i'm i'm not i'm not buying that okay good yeah because uh no spoilers but uh, but he plays a more prominent role perhaps uh than you might expect for a late hartnell episode in the war machines the next one which is also written by in Stuart black so oh. yeah i don't think he was yeah i've seen the war machines and yeah. and yeah, I I like it a lot, and I had, didn't realize that was also in Stuart Black. But another, it's another good science fictiony story. I'm a fan of this uh, this Black fellow. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm intrigued. I was just sort of thinking. I, I don't want to spoil things for the the Doctor Who episodes to come, but I've I've played up the connection between Ian Stuart Black and Patrick McGowan, who are known to one another, and uh, there it's odd that I can sort of pinpoint slight similarities between all three Doctor Who stories that he did to episodes of The Prisoner. I don't know if that's coincidence or not. I think The Macro Terror is probably one of the one of the closest ones when we get to it. But and the war machines, uh, I think, you know, with the sort of the mind control and stuff, that sort of plays in. And this one, for some reason that I forgot about, kind of reminds me of um both a change of mind 
the prisoner episode and also do not forsake me oh my darling where there's a full mind swap um and i'm wondering if they had similar ideas and were sort of talking about it at the time because like i said patrick McGrew was starting to work on prisoner right around the same time are you picturing ian stewart ian stewart black and patrick McGowan, you know out for a couple of pints and just <laughs> john back and forth about their science fiction ideas and stuff maybe i'd like to see what ian stewart black uh wrote before this i don't know if he wrote any episodes of like um secret agent man or danger man i guess is what it was known in various <laughs> i can't remember where it was you no know, danger man in the uk or the u.s i can't remember but Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. Man, I really need to watch The Prisoner again. That was so good. Maybe maybe we should watch The Prisoner and do some TV episodes on the uh, the TV podcast uh, on the Incomparable Network. The Incomparable has wanted to do, do a Prisoner episode mm-hmm. for the longest time, haven't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the flagship show may actually do uh, an episode on The Prisoner at some point, but that doesn't mean that we can't just do little, you know, TV episodes about about one the 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 tv the tv uh feed is open to any of the incomparable hosts to sort of do whatever they want so just just a thing to think about if if you're interested uh you dear listeners are interested in uh listening to steven and i talk about the prisoner uh let us know in some way shape or form and uh we'll we'll consider steven is he's doing that thing where he looks like he's thinking he's sort of tapping his tapping his mouth with his with his finger almost like stroking his stroking his non-existent beard as if to think no i have an idea we'll talk about it later Ooh, hashtag teaser for me since i don't know what he's thinking I, what I like about this is that I think we mentioned about how this is like one of the first times where the doctor sort of like says, no, I'm staying to defend these people and to free them because this mm-hmm. is not right. And it's neat that it's not just, it's obviously not something that he just says for a fact because it's his conscience. That part of his conscience is, is the part that's actually transferred over to Jano and causes Jano to rethink uh, the, his relationship with the savages and what they're doing to those people. I find that very positive, you know, to think of where the doctor has come from someone who's a very re- reluctant to take on friends or or anyone and, and sort of like wanting to flee, get out of places like he did in An Earthly Child and the Daleks and some of the other earlier episodes. And now you could almost tell that he was, he has either come around to this uh, line of thinking or has always been there and he's sort of been in denial about it and so it's a very positive thing yeah it's really interesting he mentions that again in episode three or four i think it's in episode four when you know steven and dodo are like we need to get to the tardis we need to get out of here and do- the doctor's like oh no i am not going to leave things this way which yes it is a pivotal thing and it is it is the doctor turning into the doctor that we we come to know and love and yet it's actually like a more sort of completest doctor than we get most of the time later because he often overthrows the government and then wanders off before everything's fixed and mm-hmm. here he's like he's not only empowering the savages to to rise up but he is literally helping them and then he leaves someone in control to actually help you know if he had if he was collecting more companions more often i feel like he could just drop one off at every single story that he goes on to Mm -hmm. from here on in and uh and and have people to to smooth things out like you know at the end of the sun makers he he well i guess lila's probably not the greatest choice to uh (laughs) 
to lead nope. <laughs> to lead a, a society of, of of people in a technological world. So, yeah. So you see, see he should have co- collected another companion before that to to drop off. No, I'm just picturing this silly <laughs> have spare companions just to leave as de facto government figures in planets that they've overthrown the government on. Yeah, exactly. Oh. But yeah, so it's, it was. It's interesting, and I'm. I know you keep being like non-spoilery, but uh, I'm going to be t- slightly spoilery in that you know Stephen is gone. I'll just say that Dodo doesn't doesn't hang around a whole lot longer, and then we end up with some new companions. So this this feels like such a huge changeover between like this story and the next one, where you do have the Doctor taking on this role as the the White Knight, the savior, and everything changes. The companions shift over like this is is the end of the first doctor's era in in sort of a character way just as much as him shifting over to the second doctor is it's just a just sort of a, a a different a different thing and i feel like it's all of these companions that he has had up until this point that make him the person that he that we have come to know and love. You know, Ian and Barbara have such a huge impact on him and in humanizing him and teaching him about what it is like, uh, what it means to, to befriend people who are not already your granddaughter and, um, you know, have sort of a family in the TARDIS. And then Vicky takes that one step further and, you know, he, he does the sort of grandfatherly thing without all of the baggage that, that came with that with Susan. And then, and then all the different people that he might, gosh, you know, as Deb always says, he goes through companions like tissue paper, um, especially like the Daleks master plan and stuff. And, and yeah, even on to, to Steven, who is, is sort of the, the dashing hero in a way and, and doesn't like to see injustice. And Do- well, Dodo's just, just weird. Although she's, she is smart and savvy in this story. I really, this is my favorite. This is the pinnacle of Dodo-ness. She's, well, no, this is the pinnacle of Dodo. The pinnacle of Dodo-ness is, I don't know, someplace else, but uh, probably the next story, come to think of it. Um, but yeah, so it's just, I, this is so momentous. I'm still somewhat baffled that I knew so little about this story going in. Yeah, what, uh, there's a great scene there uh, at the end of the episode that is, now that I think about it, very important in the annals of Doctor Who history. I like to find these things and point them out mostly to myself. It's when the Doctor and everyone's smashing the machinery basically like that. And then you, you get this, you know, there was a time William Hartnell's Doctor, oh, how dare you, you know, so stop behavior, all this sort of thing. And he goes to Dodo and says, it feels good to smash something that's evil, doesn't it? And it's a very anarchic, anti, anti-institutionalized opinion of authority it's very in keeping with the second doctor Mm -hmm. this this episode this story is sort of the first time that uh new producer innis lloyd and the script editor jerry davis Mm -hmm. are taking over and you get a sense that that is what their vision of doctor who is sort of this anti-establishment figure looking to smash the machines Mm -hmm. of tyrants the world around and the and all around the universe and i think they're sort of transposing that view on to William Hartnell's doctor as best they can. And then when they have a chance to to actually form a doctor from the get-go, they do it with Patrick Troughton. It all starts here. And that's the doctor that everyone sort of says, we know and love, that anti-establishment mm-hmm. one. So everyone credits Patrick Troughton, sure. 
I think Innes Lloyd and Jerry Davis have a very important part to play in the role of Doctor Who, and they sort of they sort of turn it towards that kind of more basic um, takedown of of tyrants and evil in Doctor Who. Wow, yeah, you're right. It starts here. So that's uh, in from a Watsonian perspective. I'm going to give that a little bit to Dodo okay. because you know I was talking talking about all the other companions in there their effect on the doctor uh dodo is the one who just instills in him the the delight Mm -hmm. in just being wild and doing whatever comes naturally man yeah and smashing the uh smashing the the authority uh literally here (laughs) the rebelliousness of youth Mm -hmm. is a sort of infectious in this episode i like how she says that and and uh, it's it's so great that there whoever it was back in 1966 who decided to turn his um or her uh eight millimeter home movie camera to the screen obviously knew that this is steven's last episode because there's a few of those clips interspersed here at various important moments throughout the uh the episode including some of the last scenes of steve which is nice and there's one of course where Toto turns it just with glee <laughs> relish smashes some machinery which is pretty neat yeah go dodo mm-hmm. smash it up mm-hmm Anything else about uh, this uh, this this hidden gem? I dare say it's a hidden gem. I think it is. Yeah, it really is. I, you know what? I hope that this story is literally a hidden gem because I hope that it that the reels are hidden somewhere in the world oh, right yeah. now and <laughs> that we will find them. Okay, I thought you meant like it's like you want them to stay hidden. What are you talking about? No, I want them that I want them to be hidden right now and somebody just to, to find them so that we can watch them mm-hmm. so that they will no longer be hidden. That's that's what I mean. Yeah, I I do feel like the ending was a little pat, but you know what are you gonna do? Like that's mm-hmm. uh, once you get to the end of the action, it, people don't want to stick around to watch trade negotiations. Basically, this is what we learned from episode one of Star Star Wars, which I I like, but nobody else wants to sit around and watch uh, watch. Actually, you know what? Episode one does not have that many trade negotiations. There's almost nothing in there. So shut up, haters. Uh, but anyway, uh, they very quickly determine that they need a third party uh ruler which actually is a very smart thing um this is this is a pretty wise society to uh, on both sides to be able to figure that out and and point it out so quickly um and then steven's sort of wide-eyed i'm not sure if i can can do that and the doctor saying oh yes you can it was it felt a little forced um, and, and it came together very quickly, I think just because I love these characters so much and have watched them work together for so long, I didn't like the idea of them just sort of being like, oh, well, I'm just going to stay. I yeah. mean, it, I, I'm sure they didn't have time or budget to sort of like play this out anymore. And I'm not saying they needed to take a lot more screen time, but they could have had everybody stick around for a week or two to sort of help settle things in and Stephen come to the, the realization that he has a place here and that he could make a difference. Because I do think that that is something that, that Stephen could very much excel at. Mm-hmm. The idea of him figuring that out in 30 seconds is a little much. Yeah, it's a snap decision mm-hmm. and it really didn't need to be. Like, oh, we yeah. need a mediator and we need it right now. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, that in a way, that is kind of the curse of a four-part story that they had to sort mm-hmm. of wrap everything up. Because this feel this, it didn't seem to drag th- that much. This story. No. Thank John Wiles for that because he hated the six part stories, and so he 
drew a, a lineup for four part stories literally throughout the the rest of the uh, the William Hartnett era and and this one sort of moved along but I think yeah we could have done with a few more extra minutes I think at the end yep yeah that's that's my only sort of complaint about Stevens leaving I I feel like as companion leaving reasons goes this is this is a good one this yeah. is pretty solid uh, it just doesn't feel like it's earned because of the amount of time that's taken to do it mm-hmm. uh, the other thing that I wanted to point out was just I kind of was going back and forth on uh, what's her name Nanina Nanina yeah yeah um, how it's interesting that she is put in the position of being kind and soft-hearted to the guard and at first that was annoying me because of course they're going to have the one non-companion female speaking role mm-hmm. uh, be the the soft-hearted woman who I don't know if we're supposed to think that she's got a crush on this guy or what the deal is even though he's the one that like captured her and took her in um, so I, I was having trouble with that at first and then I realized you know what this is the only female character besides Dodo who I have to, you know, to look at in this story in any way. So I sort of came up with my own headcanon that no, it's not because she finds him dreamy or dishy or anything because that would just be icky and gross. It's because she is the, despite being young, she's the wisest um, of all of the savages. I hate saying savages, but they don't ever give them any other kind of name. Mm-hmm. Like they don't have a name for their own people, apparently. Uh, so anyway. The, the outsiders. Yeah. Okay. So she's the wisest of the outsiders and she recognizes that uh, that there's there's an opening here. There's a chance that she can convince this guy, you know, catching more flies with honey than with vinegar mm-hmm. um, to, to prove to him, uh, person to person, human to human, that they are people. And that they deserve to be respected. And honestly, the entire story hinges on that decision that Nanina makes. If she hadn't done that, if she had let them, well, I mean, if she'd let them kill him, the story probably would have still worked out the same. But if uh, if Chal would have been listened to and the guard would have still escaped and not seen this example from Nanina, he would have gone back and told the truth about Jano and what his actual plan was and his influence um, by the doctor and they'd have been ready for him and they'd have all been screwed so I'm I am choosing although it is not necessarily borne out entirely on screen I'm choosing the headcanon that uh, Nanina uh, just showed great wisdom and humanity and not that she was simply soft-hearted because she was the only speaking female character, although I suspect that it was actually the case since it was the 1960s. When they went low, she went high. Here, here, she persisted. Perfect. <laughs> uh, anything else to say about the savages? No, my head hurts. I want to stop talking now. Okay. So long, Stephen, one of the great underrated companions in Doctor Who. Here, here, I'm going to miss you, man. Mm-hmm. I like to think that all those appearances that various Doctor Who people make on Blue Peter in the years to come mm-hmm. are actually them visiting Stephen. <laughs> and those are canon appearances. Actually, the thought that I had was, I mean, I realize that it's probably too late for this with Peter Capaldi, which is a shame, but uh, unless they decided to sneak it in and, and we don't know yet because Series 10 has not aired, I want either Peter Capaldi or a future Doctor to go back 
and check in yeah. on Stephen. I mean, he Peter Purvis is still a fairly spry, very, very interesting, cordial, like just well-spoken gentleman. And I would love, even if it was just one of those like really short uh, flashbacky things or something, for the doctor to just pop in and see how see how race relations are going. If everybody's integrated and you know Stephen's a a happy old old man with you know a bajillion great grandkids running around <laughs> and just you know revered by the society and he's retired and just you know goes fishing every now and then. I don't know. I just I think that would be so cool. It'd be like Capaldi going on his tenant esque farewell tour except mm-hmm. he only visits because remember how capaldi has often like spoken about susan mm-hmm. uh and how and like he almost like broke up that one time when he's talking in front of like children and stuff i think it would be kind of cool oh. if he goes back to visit steven and maybe vicky and then uh, uh susan perhaps mm-hmm. yeah you know if that doesn't happen i want no I'm an entitled fan. I demand. Yeah. I demand a short web series of of exactly that. You know, I don't care if it's Stephen Moffat or, or Chris Chibnall or Peter Capaldi himself yeah. writing writing those little shorts. I just I want to see that, even if it's not official, even if it's just you know Peter Capaldi saying to um, <laughs> saying to Peter Perris and Jackie Lane and you know. Oh. Yeah. Jackie. That would be amazing if Peter Capaldi's the one to bring Jackie Lane back into the Doctor Who fold. Mm-hmm. Yep. I just, I, I want that. I want that so bad. I want to win the lottery so that I can pay people and make it happen. I would fund this. Mm-hmm. Me too. Let's go buy a lottery ticket. Done. Okay. All right. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.